1: You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network.
0: Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at f one pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay.
1: Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here welcoming you to the very last day of January 2019. Hard to believe that the first month of the year is already out of the way. It doesn't seem like that long ago. We are sitting down to celebrate Christmas and New Year's and this month has really flown by. (laughs) Honestly, I can't believe it. But as they say in Latin, Tempus Fugit, time flies and uh, it certainly does. But well with the, the the passing of the first month of the year that means we are a lot closer to the start of the Formula One season and let's uh, start there this uh, this week and with the news that Formula One will for the very first time hold a season launch event with all the teams and drivers at uh, Federation Square in Melbourne on Wednesday March 13th it's the very first time they've done something like that I mean they've done a couple of these Formula One live events over the past couple of years in different uh, European cities so definitely very cool uh I, obviously being in Canada, I'm not going to be able to make it, but I guess we can all be there in spirit or at least via YouTube or the Formula One official website. But uh, it was kind of cool a couple of years ago, just a little anecdote and a little side story here. A friend of ours was actually in Melbourne in uh, 2017 when the, uh, the the Grand Prix was going on. And uh, although we weren't able to obviously be there ourselves, uh, she brought back a lot of Formula One swag for us, which was uh, pretty cool. And when she asked, well, what do you want me to bring you back? And I thought, well, if you're in Australia, you're at the, the Australian Grand Prix, or at least in the gift shop, <laughs> I thought the best way to mark that one was uh, by getting a Daniel Ricardo cap. So definitely a collector's item now because he'll be wearing the gold and black of Renault this year, but definitely a cool little memento. And of course, uh, that's not only the f- one thing that's going on. There's uh, plenty of things coming up. What with tomorrow being the first day of February, that means that we're moving into what is a, a very important month in the Formula One calendar, outside of the racing, obviously. And it's the time when all the teams launch and release their new cars, and they head off to preseason testing at Circuit de Catalunya in Barcelona. But we're now just only about 10 days away for the, from the first launch of the year, and that uh, kicks off on February 11th with Toro. Rosso and uh, followed up by most of the other teams uh, ending with Sauber at February 18th and uh, you have Ferrari and Mercedes and uh, McLaren. The only one that I don't see in there right now is Williams but who knows? <laughs> I don't know if, uh, how much of a fanfare they're going to get unless they can really turn things around. But hey, now that's a little bit mean. Anyways, uh, not only are we going to see the, the the car launches in, uh, coming up in the, over the next uh, couple of weeks, February 18th to the 21st marks the, the first preseason test in Barcelona. And then they have about a four or five day break. And then they uh, head off to the second round of preseason testing from um, February 26th to March 1st. And then after that, it's only two weeks and two weeks until the start of the season. So even though it seems like a very, very long time since we last saw uh, Formula One in action at Abu Dhabi at Yas Marina at the end of November, the end is, well, it's not in sight, but there is a little faint speck on the horizon that marks that uh, Formula One is definitely just about to come back. Anyways, looking at some of the news that's been out there this week, 2016 Formula One world champion Nico Rosberg has offered a bit of advice to Sebastian Vettel and Valtteri Bottas on how to beat Lewis Hamilton this year. Now he didn't really come out and and tell him exact or tell them exactly what uh, Lewis's Achilles heel is, but um, he did say that uh, he believes that uh, there's obviously a lot of pressure on uh, Sebastian Vettel, and uh, he he believes that Vettel's really feeling the pressure because not only does he have the pressure from within his team and from within himself driving for Ferrari, you obviously have <laughs> the pressure of an entire nation, the entire na- country of Italy, is uh, is is wanting you to win and and bring home. Formula One glory, and uh, obviously um, that uh, has got to be a big responsibility for whoever that is. But uh, he feels that uh, that Vettel personally needs to improve, and the, and the team Ferrari also has to improve uh, as well. And this is no big uh, secret; we've talked about it before that uh, that Ferrari and Vettel definitely probably let that uh, both world championships get away from from them last year. So I think that uh, he, I think he's basically saying that. If he if he can get his head straight and the team supports him and they make the decisions that they need to make, I think that's uh, going to go a long way to helping mount a serious challenge against uh, Lewis Hamilton. I mean, you got to have your, your head straight if you're going to come up against Lewis. Not only is he very, very quick, and he's always got a very, very good car. I mean, Mercedes obviously has been one of the, the best car in Formula 1 over the past several years. He's also mentally tough. So if you can't come to that sort of level, and I think that Nico came kind of close. Obviously, uh, he did win that 2016 World Championship, but it really took a lot out of him. I mean, he was only World Champion for, what, less than a week before he decided to pull the plug when he, I guess he just must have sat back and thought, okay, well, I won a World Championship. It's taken me this many years. It's uh, cost this much in in dedication and personal sacrifice. Am I willing to do it again and go head to head with, uh, with Lewis Hamilton? or Sebastian Vettel or anybody else, especially Lewis. I mean, there was always going to be that that competition within uh, Mercedes and uh, two very, very good drivers. And Rosberg, at sometimes was pretty, you know, let's give him some credit, was able to come close to the level that uh, that Hamilton is at. So if you can get close to that on a sort of an even par on the mental game, that's going to go a long way with um, fighting with uh, with Lewis Hamilton. But then uh, Valtieri, Bottas, of course, uh, he was saying that uh, that he's been. Well, it's easy easy to say. He's basically saying with the with the new season, he has a, a better chance to establish himself in a stronger position. And what he said, what I thought was kind of interesting, when he said by uh, really annoying Lewis a lot. And he's, what, uh, I don't know what exactly he means by that, but last year. Botas obviously had a subpar season the the, the the first year he was at Mercedes was really about to, um, I think proving himself that he that he needed to that he should be there being a uh, Rosberg's replacement and he did well I mean he's won a couple of races since he's been there he was uh, the, more of the agreeable uh, teammate uh, compared to the, the the toxic relationship that uh, Hamilton and Rosberg had that just worsened each and every year as the two were were partners at Mercedes I mean how many times did we see during that uh, that partnership would it actually Went really bad, and we had the uh, you know the, the bigwigs, Total Wolf or um, uh, Nikki Lauda, saying that that they would not hesitate to um, to. Uh, well basically fire one of those guys if it actually came to that because they felt that the relationship that both of those guys had with each other was just detrimental to the entire team and what they were trying to achieve regardless if they were winning races they just felt that the the dynamic between those two guys was just um, too much there's too much friction and it was a real problem Botas obviously completely different situation between him and Lewis Hamilton and last year he really struggled uh, I, it, it's kind of of course hindsight is twenty twenty, and of course uh, it's easy to say well when he uh, lost that race that he was lead, leading in Baku that was obviously a bit of a turning point in the season but it was it was really unfortunate I mean he, he ran over that debris that gave him a puncture late in the race and then he was just not able to recover from that and of course later in the year when uh, Lewis was really looking to lock down that championship when it was basically academically his, when, by the time they got to, to, to Russia. And then there was the whole team orders thing, even though that uh, Botas was uh, leading there. And uh, of course he's won at that race uh, before, and uh, he had to pull over for his teammate. And then he had the mechanical failure in uh, in Austria while he was leading. Well, that's when they had the first uh, double DNF since what, 1955 due to mechanical reasons or whatever. But I do agree that uh, w- with Rosberg, that if conditions are right and uh, Bottas has a good car, I think that uh, he could win some races again. And I think that he could, well, I don't know about annoy Lewis. That's like I say, I still think that's a bit of an an odd situation, but, or odd comment uh, from uh, Nico Rosberg, but uh, Bottas I think he's obviously had to go away from the season this past year and, and just kind of over the past couple of months, get his head in the the, the right um, uh, right uh, place, the right space, if you want to call it that. But he was um, at the Arctic Lapland Rally in Finland this past weekend. He won a stage and he finished fifth overall. And I think that's a really, really good uh, achievement. And I think we should give him a lot of uh, respect for, for him taking part in this and, uh, and doing as well as he did. And who knows, maybe that's just something that that he can just take, put in under his belt and really move forward and take that as a bit of a confidence booster going into the season. I mean, the pressure is already on. I believe that his contract is up at the end of this year. And Total Wolf even said a couple of years ago, or sorry, a couple of weeks ago, pardon me, that that he has to perform on a par or the same level as Lewis Hamilton if he wants to come back for next year. I mean, Mercedes, of course, there's going to be new no uh, shortage of guys that would want to take that second seat uh, at Mercedes. I mean, you have Esteban Ocon, who's uh, one of their um, uh, reserve driver and simulator driver, who's uh, out of a drive at Force India. And when the, the, the music stopped playing in the silly season last year, he was the one guy that uh, that was left without a drive. So they are tapping him for, for great things in the future. And uh, if you go back a couple of months in F1 Racing Magazine, there was a, a story about o- Ocon and uh, how they really feel about him. That he's got all the uh, the talents and the attributes to, to be a very successful driver in Formula One. So, by the time we get to, to the end of twenty twenty or sorry twenty nineteen, Valtteri would have had three full years with the uh, Mercedes. And who knows? Uh, we we could see. I, I think the first half of the year is going to be very very crucial because a lot of the um, uh, decisions for um, the drivers for the the, the coming years. It, it seems a silly season starts earlier each and every year. And uh, if he struggles in the 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 first half of the season who knows that might be enough to um really tip the 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 scales uh, away or in the favor of uh, mercedes making a replacement there so he's really going to have to find whatever competitive advantage he can to not only uh, continue the role that he had with the with with mercedes but he's got to find more than just um Scoring points and helping them the constructors championship. He's uh, really going to have to to do well and uh, and really find a way to um, to to win races and do as well as he can uh, to to really make a case for himself to stay there for for twenty twenty and uh, and beyond. And now th- this is a, an interesting one there's been uh, no no shortage of um, comments and, and discussion ahead of the new season. Uh, Jensen Button uh, who's um, obviously uh, another former Formula 1 world champion now is a pundit on uh, Sky in uh, in the UK believes that uh, new signing at uh, Ferrari uh, Charles Leclerc could uh, force uh, Sebastian Vettel into what uh, Jens is calling a tough decision over his Formula 1 future. And I stay, still maintain that I think the, the the situation at Ferrari this year is going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, a couple of years ago, we saw it in, in 2014 with Daniel Ricciardo and uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, when he was in his last year at uh, at, uh, at Red Bull before moving to Ferrari. He was actually outperformed in, uh, and Daniel Ricciardo in his first year in the, the, the senior Red Bull team uh, outperformed him and scored more points than uh, Sebastian Vettel. And then of course he goes on, signs a, a a big lucrative contract with Ferrari and trying to do bring the glory back obviously and it's been a it's been a, a bit of a project at Ferrari to say the least I mean they, they've they increased steadily each and every year over the past couple of years and they've been in the position the past two years at least to uh, to be challenging uh, Mercedes and, and and winning races and they really had a legit shot to, to win it all last year and it just uh, well we don't need to go down that rabbit hole again, but it uh, certainly is. Um, well, if they can maintain this uh, same uh, trajectory, that uh, that uh, they should be challenging Mercedes again this year, and uh, well, it, it'll be fascinating to watch to see how that dynamic unfolds between uh, Leclerc and uh, Sebastian in Ferrari this year. Over the past several years, I think that uh, Sebastian. I think to a certain degree, I think he was a little bit too comfortable whether he wants to admit that or not uh, because uh, he was just naturally a little bit faster than uh, Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Kimi was just not able to, to really push him or really uh, at times I think really do the job that he needed to do at Ferrari like we've seen other guys say Botas who we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago was doing the same job that uh, at Mercedes and and really helping to to score as many points and, and really uh, do the job that he needs to do to help them win and uh, of course. He did a phenomenal job, Uh, and of course that led to that uh, infamous uh, wingman comment Total Wolf made after the Hungarian Grand Prix last year when uh, ferrari just messed up sebastian's uh, pit stop just enough uh, they just couldn't get him out in time and he came out of the pits just behind valtteri bottas and uh well i mean the hungaro ring is impossible to pass on basically and by the time uh, vettel was uh, eventually able to get past bottas it was it was over and done with he was never going to catch lewis hamilton at the, at the front but he did what he needed to do he he ran interference basically and uh just um, let hamilton just drive off into the into the distance and that is uh, something that uh, a situation we hadn't really seen too much of over the past several years with uh, with vettel and Raikkonen. and they were never really able to uh, deliver that one two punch but now of course kimi he did have a bit of a, a renaissance at the end of last year of course winning in uh, in austin at the end of the year and now uh, he's off to Sauber. but uh, leclerc that that could be really interesting to see that you know that the the, the the young up-and-comer really uh trying to establish himself and and Jensen goes on to talk about just how that uh that a guy like uh Charles like um just uh, the the way that he is as a person and just uh what he's capable of he said you know it could change the uh the dynamic and uh, things within the team and uh he said uh, it may actually work a little bit against uh Sebastian Vettel so just the the whole internal thing at Ferrari because I mean it's really flipped upside down uh uh, last year and in the past year, I should say. And obviously it's it sort of, well who knows uh, from from the outside it's a little bit easy to speculate but of course a really crucial moment was uh, when uh, Sergio Marchioni unfortunately suddenly passed away at the end of last summer you have those internal changes uh, with with i believe it's like two or three people are basically doing the jobs that uh, that uh, Marchioni used to do himself and now of course they parted way with uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene a couple of weeks ago and uh, they replaced him with uh, Mattia Benato as uh, the the guy who's going to be in charge you have uh, the the, the after effects, the fallout, if you want to call it that, of uh, a really disappointing 2018. And uh, there, there's certainly a, a lot on the line. And uh, it makes me wonder, and uh, this, of course, is just uh, my own speculation, my guess, would Sebastian Vettel, w- would he consider hanging up uh, his, uh, his driving gloves at, uh, at some point? Obviously, I, I would think that uh, he's he's done a lot in Formula One. Obviously, he's never going to have to work again at a real job like the the rest of us poor suckers here. Uh, but certainly, I mean, you, you can see that uh, when, when things are going right and, and you're enjoying it, that there there still is an attraction to to keep in it. I mean, Raikkonen, obviously, he's still enjoying Formula One at, uh, at 39 years old. If he wasn't, why would he, in effect, take a step backwards and go and uh, drive for a midfield team uh, like Sauber? I mean, the opportunities that he's going to have to win a race uh, for the next two years seem a bit of a stretch but who knows who's who's to say if uh, there's uh, some strange weather or Monaco's always a uh, a bit of a, a roulette uh, game a bit of a a roll of the dice uh, anything can and usually does happen there but if uh, Sebastian gets frustrated or things still don't go his way and and who knows maybe Ferrari might feel that they want to uh, want to change but uh who, who they might want to to replace Sebastian if it ever came to that well that that's uh a fascinating. That's an interesting scenario that uh, could unfold. Uh, I, I could. Well, could you see Lewis Hamilton going to race for Ferrari? Do you go all in and try and get uh, Max Verstappen out of uh, out of Red Bull? I mean, he's got a, a contract there for the next couple of years. It would be uh, it would be amazing to see that uh, that whole scenario unfold, but I think that if you're Ferrari, obviously you're going to want some continuity, you're going to want some stability, especially after all the upheaval over the past uh, six to eight months, and try and just uh, build, you know, just steady the ship get back to, to do what uh, you do best and in, in racing and uh, hopefully uh, Bonato he can uh, sort out some of these operational some of these technical and strategical decisions that were a little bit questionable over the past couple of years that uh, certainly didn't help Sebastian Vettel. and of course somebody needs to, to to really get Seb focused again and it's not just all up to him uh, last week uh, we, we touched on it briefly about um, Sir Jackie Stewart three-time world champion said that uh, he believes that um, that Formula One drivers are really missing out on not, not having coaching and he referred a lot of other uh, elite athletes and other uh, sports tennis for example now uh, you know um, top level tennis players or tennis players at almost every level uh, benefit uh, from, from coaching and I mean Formula One is a little bit different um, I suppose uh, boat racing in, in that way but certainly I think last year that uh, Ferrari even though there there were quite a, a number of mistakes and things that Vettel did wrong himself, which he needs to own, that there were other times that they really didn't uh, put him in the best situation, which undoubtedly just added to the pressure and just uh, did not make it uh, make it uh, any easier. But interesting words from uh, from Jensen Button, and of course um, being the, a guy that was in Formula One for a very very long time and and uh, won a world championship, obviously, and raced for some very big teams, he knows what it's all about. So. I think it's interesting to to take those words uh, from Jensen and just kind of maybe read between the lines and just kind of uh, get a bit of more insight or a bit more of appreciation what these guys uh, go through. Because it can't be easy, obviously. <laughs> now, talking about uh, things that aren't easy, the uh, 16 of the 21 race promoters in, uh, in Formula One uh, had a press release the other day. And this, uh, well, the official name is the Formula One Promoters Association, or FOPA. And uh, they met in London ahead of the uh, Liberty Media's and uh, Formula One's uh, preseason meetings, which also are going on about this time. And they just basically what they they wanted to meet to discuss what they call the situation ahead of the uh, season starting in Australia in several weeks from now. And they released a three-point statement and they... It's, it's interesting to get their, um, their two cents on it, and they believe that it's not in the long-term interest of the sport that uh, that fans are losing free access to content and broadcasting, because there's a, a lot of uh, places in Europe, for example, I, I believe Italy, the UK is another one, I don't live there, so I'm just kind of going from what I hear. That uh, it's behind a paywall. It's on subscription TV. It's not uh, available on um, you know. I don't even know how you get TV for free nowadays because here in Canada we get Sky uh, Sky Sports, uh, but we have to watch it on TSN. TSN is a subscription that comes through the uh, through our cable, and it's not even part of the normal basic basic cable package. So for me. I'm used to paying for it and we've had to do that for a, a number of years here, but I understand in other parts of the world uh, that is not the case. So I can understand that if you're a Formula One fan and all of a sudden it becomes a, you know, goes behind that paywall and you are not in the financial position to pay for it or you don't want to pay for it because I have the same thing here uh the other thing that I'm big into is is soccer and uh, I do uh not only am I a soccer fan but I also do uh a, another podcast and I'm a, a reporter so I do a lot of uh, I, I watch a lot of soccer in addition to a lot of Formula One and that's one thing I hate for example um uh, the the Champions League UEFA Champions League used to be on TSN used to be on Sportsnet but now it's on uh Dazzin or whatever it is and it's just one of these other the, these other subscriptions so it's like if you want to watch Formula One you need to to subscribe uh, subscribe to this channel or to this one or to this service or you have to stream it online and it does come to a point where your cup runneth over. So I, I really do respect the, um, you know, the promoters coming out and, and worrying about people having the access to, to Formula One if they can't have it because I've certainly gotten to that point that enough is enough and there are a number of things that I absolutely have to have and I have to have access to. Formula One is obviously one of those, but I've had to prioritize over the years. I mean, I can pay for all this stuff I mean I'm not concerned about that I mean I'm very fortunate to have a very good paying job that that I go to nine to five and uh, allows me to do a lot of these things but it's not the same for a lot of people but I just see to myself okay well I'm going to subscribe to this because I'm going to get a lot of use out of it But I'm not going to uh, subscribe to this or this or this, whatever it might be, because even though it's really cool, I'm not really going to take advantage of it. I'm not going to use it. And you know, my interest really isn't there compared to the soccer, compared to the Formula One and the other sports that I enjoy to watch. I mean, I I love hockey, ice hockey, for example. I love football. I mean, Super Bowls this weekend, great time of year, fantastic event. I mean, the the Super Bowl is one of the premier uh, sporting events uh, on the entire planet. But at some point, it, uh, it becomes too much. Uh, they also go on to say that they believe there's a lack of clarity on new initiatives in Formula One and uh, a lack of an uh, engagement with uh, promoters on their implementation. And again, I I, th- I think this is an interesting comment. And again, I mean, these guys are only, what, two years into it now. They bought... Formula One out from uh, from Ecclestone and then quickly found a way to to shove him to one side and uh, Bernie Ecclestone of course sure he ran the sport with an iron fist for what 40 45 years or something like that and Formula One wouldn't be what it is now without Bernie Ecclestone and I mean that's both a good and a bad thing I mean you look at the uh, the the British Grand Prix for example and they decided to exercise that uh, early exit clause uh, to get out of uh, hosting the British Grand Prix and uh, that's basically because they started out at this baseline of what it was going to cost in in fees to host the the, the British Grand Prix. That would uh, basically increase, I think it was 5% each and every year. And at the end of the 17 years or whatever it was that they, they had written into that contract, it would be up to something like, I think it was 26 million pounds just to to, to host the, the race in that final year of the contract. And that's a hell of a lot of money. And I can understand uh, why they would be... Uh, um, they would be chagrined about that and you can see, and this kind of segues nicely into the last um, uh, the, the last point that they make. and they said that uh, new races should not be introduced to, to the detriment of existing events, although the association is encouraged by the alter- uh, sorry, the associations encouraged by the alternative business models be uh, offered to prospective uh, venues. Now, that is true. Uh, they have uh, found different ways to, to, to monetize Formula 1 and different ways to engage the fans. But it's been a bit of a slow process. And uh, I think that uh, Liberty Media is to, to be commended in some ways. But a lot of the changes that they wanted to, to make or they said they were making, it does seem like it is uh, taking a, a little bit of time, both uh, on and off uh, the track. I mean, they do listen. I mean, if you remember last year, I can remember exactly which race it was. It was about two-thirds of the way of the season. And one of the things I do subscribe to is the, uh, the the Formula One timing app? I think it's what thirty five dollars a year here in Canada to sub- uh, subscribe to it, and that thing goes live on my my, my iPad right as I sit down to watch uh, qualifying, practice, uh, the the race, whatever it may uh, might be. And it's great. It's, you know, to me, it, it brings me closer to the uh, to, to the event. It brings me closer into the race. Uh, it, it's really cool to be able to, to watch the sector times and to be able to, to see, um, you know, how, how two drivers are matching up and uh, just to see the, the the gaps that are there. Because I mean, they do a good job on TV, but of course uh, the information kind of uh, comes in little bits and pieces, but it's nice just to have that that one, uh, one timing screen. But anyways, they completely changed it up. And there was an outroar after that race on social media, and to their credit, they backtracked and basically rebooted the uh, the, the the timing app, and uh, they, they had two separate ones for the the remainder of the year. I know there is some plan that they kind of want to go back to the one that didn't really go over that popularly, but uh, but who knows? I mean, it didn't go well, and um, you know they could have just not said anything honestly and just uh, kind of just. Decided this is how we're going to do it. If you don't like it, well, too damn bad. And uh, well, that's what they didn't do. They actually listened to the fans and backtracked and uh, and did what they needed to do and uh, reinstated it. So hopefully the 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 new version 2.0. However, if they release that this year, hopefully they've they've taken a lot of that criticism and uh, what they've learned and put that into effect to make sure that whatever they do in the future is a lot. Well, a lot better thought out and a lot better implemented, so you're not going to upset uh, your fans that are like uh, splashing out uh, a bit of money to, to to do it. But the the other thing is too that they're saying that the new races should not be introduced to, to the detriment of uh, the the old races. And this has been one thing that uh, Chase Carey and Liberty Media have been talking about for a very long time that they want these historical races in Formula One. They're a priority for them. And you have Silverstone. Uh, they uh, well, they're they're not happy, but but uh, you have Monza that uh, that's not really been. Um <clears throat> I'd say in the safest of hands the past couple of years, and uh, it, well, just uh, just talking about that, Silverstone is one of five circuits this year that uh, they're out of contract this year. Uh, the other one is Hockenheim, which has been a, a little bit hiss- hit and miss. I mean, we did have a German Grand Prix the other year, and to me that just uh, is mind blowing. Uh, Monza is out of contract this year. Uh, 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 Barcelona, the Spanish Grand Prix in Mexico City. So that's the, that's five this year. Now apparently they said a couple of uh, was about a month or two ago that there's up to like forty. Cities or venues worldwide that uh, that are have expressed interest in Formula One. Okay, that's great. That's great. But to me, no uh, British Grand Prix, no German Grand Prix, no Italian Grand Prix, or even the Spanish Grand Prix. I mean, those are just. Uh like I say, it's mind-blowing to to conceive Formula One without them. I mean, I'm open to the discussion about Hockenheim itself, because although the old track, I guess, was kind of iconic, it really was from another era of motor, uh, motor racing, where basically the cars would just come into that stadium section, they'd hit that uh, right-hander, and then they'd disappear into the woods for a couple of minutes. And uh, of course, in this day and age, you know, you have to consider safety and all those sorts of things. And of course, tragically, Jim Clark was killed there in the 1960s in a, in a Formula Two race. So it made a lot of sense. I'm just not too crazy about the the, the layout of the new uh, Hockenheim. Uh, I, I I've been to both Hockenheim and uh, the Nürburgring uh, for for Formula One and also for uh, for DTM. You know, they're they're both great tracks, and uh, well. Honestly, if I was to pick between the two of them, I'd probably go with the Nürburgring, but hey, you know, that's just me. The point is that Formula One needs all these historic tracks, as as many as they can get. Because I mean, Mons is another one. Uh, To me, it just seems inconceivable to have a, a Formula One season without. Uh, Monza and the the atmosphere, the Tifosi there, and each and every year you have all these thousands of fans uh, uh, on the uh, on the pit straight afterwards to celebrate the uh, the, the the top three drivers uh, when they go up onto the podium there. All the banners, all the flags, all that really cool stuff, and it, it's more than just an event. And Silverstone as well, it's been one of the best attended races for the past couple of years. I mean, the the, the British fans love Lewis Hamilton, they love motorsport and Silverstone. Although I've never been there for a Formula One race, I hear it's horrible to get to in and out the, 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 uh, the, access is very difficult yet. They turn out in their hundreds of thousands. I mean, do you really want to lose out on all, all those fans? I mean, because that is a really good advertisement for your sports compared to some of these other tracks where it's, it's a struggle to get people into a, into attendance. I mean, you look at Malaysia, they had the big stadiums and uh, or big grandstands that were sparsely filled with uh, with motor racing fans, but It's true, but they have to find a way to either restructure these deals for these uh, existing tracks or give them, I think a more favorable deal moving forward, if they're going to renegotiate and not necessarily, you know, they, they can't go out and get these new races in like Vietnam, which is going to come in, was it in 2020? Uh, I mean, it looks really cool. And, and, and Vietnam is an emerging economy and it's a, a, a very, uh, I mean, Hanoi is a very vibrant city. So you, it makes sense to try out, uh, going to, uh, to new places like that. And the track looks like it's going to be really cool. Miami looked like it was on as well until local opposition has kind of put that on the, uh, uh, on the back burner, perhaps uh, for 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 good, but while they're exploring these new uh, venues, they, they can't make it too good of a deal for them to the point where it's it's really affecting the uh, the other uh, circuits to, to the point of like, well, wh- why should we have to pay through the nose? And uh, these other uh, cities, these other venues are getting a pretty sweet deal. Like if I think it was uh, Azerbaijan, I think maybe Russia too, uh, they, they pay uh, among the, 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 the highest uh, fees to host a Grand Prix compared to uh, Monaco who pay relatively... Uh, Uh, Little because of their historic status, very much like how Ferrari gets a a bit of a special deal uh, because, uh, you know, their their historic um, status as well as being, uh, you know, uh, in Formula One for over 50 years and all their achievements in the sport as well. So you can understand uh, these uh, these comments uh, that they're, they're they're making, but I do find it's interesting that uh, that it wasn't unanimous. It was only sixteen of the twenty one races, and then subsequently, you've had uh, promoters from both Russia and Mexico distance themselves uh, a little bit from the, the the criticism that have been leveled and, and pointed towards um, uh, Liberty Media and Formula One. Uh, so the other um, uh, races, uh, the other promoters that uh, weren't included. Uh, besides Mexico and uh, and Russia, where Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, Monaco, and uh, Japan, and um, Monaco. Well, I mean, basically, they they understood it, but the uh, the 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 promoter from the Russian Grand Prix, uh, you know, he was a little bit more blunt uh, about it, a little bit more to the point. But uh, you can understand why there's a frustration, and you can see why the promoters are also a, a little bit concerned as well, because they have. As much as they went and pushed through these rules for 2019 with the simplified front wings and the barge boards and all that, the longer term vision for 2021 and beyond is is still... It's vague at best, right? Uh, Ross Braun was talking about it a couple of weeks ago that he's frustrated that although the, the the meetings and the consultations that they've had with the teams and other stakeholders in recent months have been very positive and there, there seems uh, like a desire to get it done, he's dissatisfied with the uh, the amount of time that it's uh, taking. So if he's dissatisfied with it, uh, you can understand why people otherwhere in the, in the sport would be uh, a little bit uh, upset about that uh, as well but definitely very interesting to see that uh, not all of them would be um, on board or not necessarily on board but definitely it's not a unanimous thing that they're all unhappy with the 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 direction of the sport and of course it's going to take time to to give a little bit of a benefit of the doubt to, to to liberty that they're not going to change it overnight i mean Bernie did things the way that he did. There was not so much in in his era with the, with the social media. The, the, there wasn't really all that much in the way of marketing. I mean, they, they brought in uh, Ross Braun and Sean Bratches to, to really help out and and really modernize Formula One, both from a, uh, a commercial side and from a sporting side. So th- they know what they're doing from that point, but it's, it's going to take a little bit of time to get it sorted out. Uh, I, I do think that they've done a lot of positive things, but of course the jury is going to be out to a certain extent. And of course we'll only really be able to pass judgment after all these things are implemented or not. And after a couple of years, we will, we'll be able to sit back and say, well, they, you know, they, they took over formula one, they got rid of Bernie and his, uh, his establishment. And are we in a better position now, four or five years down the road or whatever it might be, than we were under Bernie Ecclestone. So great, uh, great question. But the, uh, a little bit uh, related to that is um, that, uh, the uh, there is a talk this week that uh, they would like to or not like the direct quote is that a formula would love to add a second to a race in, in China of course they've been at uh, Shanghai since uh, 2004 and uh, well the Chinese Grand Prix this year will be the thousandth get that the 1000th grand prix in formula 1 since uh, 1950 and well you can understand why i mean china's got the biggest population in the world it's a, it's a very big economy and uh, it's well it's a, the second largest economy in the world and it's a, a key place for car manufacturers and uh, well i mean take your pick. I mean, Shanghai is obviously a world city, great place. And uh, you you could see why um, maybe uh, some of the other race promoters would be concerned if they're looking into um, having another race in China and maybe giving them a bit of preferential treatment. I'm sure that wouldn't be the case, but it's definitely not the only place that's been uh, mentioned. Uh, Well, I mean, uh, London was out there a couple of years, or sorry, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just before Christmas. And uh, the the London mayor was saying that uh, it's a real possibility that we could see a, a race take place there. But uh, certainly, you can understand why Liberty would want to have a race in China and also a second race in the uh, the United States. I think that uh, the Circuit of Americas is a, a really good venue, like the track. And uh, but you can understand too why they would be interested to having a second U.S. Grand Prix, for example, be it in Miami, which obviously looks like it's not going to happen anytime soon. But New York, Vegas has been thrown out there. I mean, there's so many great places that uh, that you could pick in in, in the United States and of course i mean it's a car culture the americans love cars they love racing so uh, again it's also a very wealthy country it's it's got a huge population with the the population of the united states correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 million people. I'm sure there's quite a few uh, Formula One fans. I mean, definitely from this podcast point of view, our biggest audience, our, our, our listeners are in the US. So kind of extrapolate from that if you want. So who knows? We, we could see maybe a race in Beijing. That makes sense. It'd be kind of cool to see the Formula One racing around the Forbidden City, but definitely uh, a case of watch this space anyway so let's talk a little bit now uh, uh, sort of a, a semi related topic and just uh, some of the, uh, the the 2019 rule changes that uh, that are that are coming up and uh, of course the, the the big ones that everybody's been talking about are the front wings the simplified barge boards which are intended to clean up the the airflow behind the car and make it more possible for other cars to get closer and hopefully increase the opportunities for for mo- more overtaking during the course of of a, a Grand Prix. But there are a number of other things that are changing uh, this year. Uh, the first one is the fuel limit is uh, going up. There's help for the. Um <laughs> The heavier drivers, which uh, I think a a lot of us here are going to kind of chuckle at because I don't think uh, heavy drivers uh, are (laughs) what we kind of think when we see these very lean uh, and and toned Formula One drivers. But uh, it's true. I mean, I I can't remember what it was, uh, what he weighed. But back in the day, Gerhard Berger, I think he weighed something like 85 kilos. So not really a lot. (laughs) But every pound, of course, uh, does make a difference in in Formula One. But in in the past, it was the uh, the total weight of car included the driver and so it, it helps that if uh, if that was the case that your driver was uh, as light as possible but uh, this year the though the weight of the driver in his seat will be measured at the start of the the, the year and it must hit a minimum of 80 uh, kilogram or any ki- 80 kilograms sorry and any driver that falls under that limit will have uh, ballast fitted inside the cop- uh, cockpit area to uh, to compensate Now, I don't know how much uh, a seat in Formula One weighs for a Formula One car. Being space-age material, I can imagine it probably isn't very much, but still 80 kilograms, multiply that by 2.2 to convert into pounds, you know that's still not uh, very a lot. Uh, you know that, that's not really a lot, of course, but uh, I, I think that's kind of a, a a cool way to to do it, right? And um, put uh, put ballast in it, kind of make everybody start from the from the same thing. So kind of a uh, a cool one. I like the idea that they're they're going to tweak the, uh, the the grid penalties because I mean it was kind of ridiculous. I mean as cool as these hybrid hybrid turbo V6 engines have been. Just the the fact that we've seen people replacing entire engines or MGU-Ks or mgu what all these different uh, uh, pieces that go in the car or on the engine, I mean it was ridiculous. At some point, I mean you'd see cars racking up um, grid penalties that were like in. 25, 50, 100 spots in, uh, in, in some uh, cases. It was absolutely uh, ridiculous. But uh, they're going to be um, this year, what they're going to do is they're going to be starting by placing them in the back of the grid in the order that they qualified. And then there's also going to be uh, something as well the, the drivers who, which we don't see very much in this day and age, who qualify outside of the 107% rule will be uh, allowed to start at the back of the grid uh, behind any uh, drivers that have uh, power unit penalties. So kind of cool there. And also, this is uh, no surprise, new oil burn limits. There was uh th- that was uh, something that was kind of implemented last year because, um, uh this year they're not going to be able to have any oil in their auxiliary oil tanks for qualifying all to do with like that uh, that party mode and uh, burning oil is just a, another way that they can get more performance out of the cars and uh, that was a bit of a holdover from last year there's going to be new safety car rules that uh, compared to uh, previous years where they were not uh, allowed to pass from behind the, uh, the, the or until they pass the safety uh, car line which was typically a couple of corners before the start finish line this year cars won't be able to overtake until they par, uh, pass the start finish so that's kind of cool and then just even stuff off of the track that they're going to do is that they own um, this year uh, they're gonna be allowed to have uh, up to I think it's uh, six uh, trainees that can have exemptions because they're only allowed to have 60 people in the pits on the uh, on the uh, during a race weekend and uh, I think that uh, each trainee is allowed two times a year that they can uh, they can get an exemption and uh, and be there so I think that's cool I think that's definitely a, a way to to uh, to to get more of these brilliant young engineers these men and women exposed to uh, to formula 1 so i think that's kind of cool uh, another one which is interesting is that the the teams are going to scrutinize themselves and basically they have to sign a declaration that their cars comply with all the uh, the, the the regulations so it's not like they're just uh, it's like the honor system after uh, the, the 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 events the the race is over there's there's still going to be all the uh, usual post session checks done by the scrutineers but there is at least before they get on the track that uh, that the teams will have filled out this declaration saying, "Yep, you know we're good. Uh, we're we're in compliance with all the rules and regulations." And if they're, they found out to be uh, in in uh, in breach of that, well, you're going to get uh, get nailed for it. And then also, um, cars that start in the pit lane this year, they will be able to um, basically follow the field around after the the, the very last um, car uh, crosses or passes the pits on the start or on the formation lap, and they. Two will be able to uh, to go around rather than just kind of waiting there until the the the, the race starts. So I think that's kind of good. Also, uh, this year we're going to see the different helmets, which have been developed over a really really long uh, period of time, and basically it just makes the the opening on the front of the helmets uh, a, a lot smaller uh, to prevent uh, an incident like we saw with Felipe Massa at Hungary it was about ten years ago when that spring came off and actually went in through his visor and injured him rather rather badly. And then uh, well finally <laughs> we're gonna see a checkered light rather than the checkered flag because uh, in uh, Canada last year uh, we saw the uh, the checkered flag was waved by supermodel Winnie Harlow and while there was just a, a little bit of a, a miscalculation, the, the checkered flag was uh, uh, waved a little bit early and of course there is safety concerns uh, for that. so the, the the checkered flag will still be uh, used, but it will be on one of those LED boards that uh, you see around the track that once you see the checkered flag waving on that, that means the session's over, the race is done. And, uh, well... Hopefully, we won't have. Well, I mean, we won't have any repeats of a, a premature uh, checkered flag like we did uh, last year. But just talking about the a little bit more, just about some of the changes from from last year. Uh, Dr. Helmut Marko, the, uh, the the big uh, wig over at uh, Red Bull Racing, he believes that, or he doesn't believe he knows that the, the the changes to the front wing rule has already cost Red Bull fifteen million euros and uh despite uh, a lot of the the issues that they had uh, developing this front wing he, he says that they've already recovered most of the per- uh, loss of performance uh that uh, that was caused by these uh the these front wings that they're going to run this year but uh <laughs> 15 million euros wow uh i know that uh, that it was a a big uh, it, thing for them to to talk about I mean uh racing point uh, their technical director was just uh, talking about the uh, the other week that uh, it sounds like a very small thing and uh, it, it basically had the effects um, pr- probably unintended I'm sure that uh, just changing those front wings was almost tantamount to uh, redesigning the entire car uh, just because of all the, uh, the 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 effects that it had uh, elsewhere so that is a really really huge amount of money 50 million euros for Red bull racing alone just to get this uh, taken care of and implemented uh, for this year. Now, uh, talking about uh, another team, and uh, Frederica Vassar, the team principal at uh, Sauber, says that, uh, that top teams, not the midfield teams, are Sauber's reference points. I love the, I love the talk. I love the swagger. I, I really like the direction that, uh, that Sauper is, uh, going in. And, uh, of course, um, they, they had a great driver last year in Charles Leclerc. They had a much improved car, uh, compared to the past couple of years. Obviously, uh, the, the big thing there was they had actually had an engine that was designed to go with the, <laughs> the car that they were going with because 2017, They had a a car that was uh, built to the 2017 regulations, but was powered by an engine that went into the previous version, the previous era of uh, Formula One cars in 2016, and it just didn't uh, deliver the grunt. But uh, Vassur came in about a a year and a half, two years ago after they parted with uh, Manisha Kaltenborn, and the team's really turned around. I mean, they've got that, uh, I mean, they've had Ferrari engines for a while, but they've got that Alfa Romeo sponsorship, and they're definitely going in the the right uh, direction. And I love to see the confidence, almost a little bit of cockiness to, to say that, you know, we're, we're not just measuring ourselves against the guys that we're racing with. We're measuring ourselves against the big boys. And that's where we we want to be. And uh, I'd like to see them uh, punch uh, above their weight. I mean, we've seen teams like Force India over the past, uh, uh, well, Quite a few number of years, um, outperform and do better than uh, is really expected, just because they're so in- ingenuitive and so flexible, and uh, and just able to to work or really deliver more than you would expect that they're capable of, uh, considering the budget they, that that they have on, uh, or that they have to work with. And if um, uh, Salber is able to to do the uh, the same, and if they're able to to push their way up and become, uh, you know. I don't want to re- really say the best of the rest because that's that's a bit of the uh, I think it's a little bit. Uh I wouldn't say insulting, but it really isn't uh, giving them their credit. I mean, you always want to go out there to Formula One because I don't think there are too many teams that just show up and say, hey, you know, we're just happy to be here. We don't really care if we're, we're, we're going to win a race or not. We're in Formula One. We're just going to drive around and do whatever. I mean, the goal obviously always has to be to win, whether or not you're going to have a realistic shot to win each and every weekend. You know, that's a, a completely different uh, story, of course, but uh, really cool to see. And I mean, it, it's going to be fun to watch seeing what, uh, what Kimi Raikkonen is going to do uh, going back to the team where he started his formula 1 career you know 20 years ago or whatever it is now and uh, it's also going to be uh, interesting to watch Antonio Giovinazzi who uh, drove a couple of races for them uh, 2 years ago uh, when uh, Pascal Wehrlein was uh, out with that uh, recovering from concussion or whatever it was after he, he injured himself in that uh, in the race of champions that uh, that year so it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to watch on uh, on a number of fronts uh, but uh, definitely uh, I love it I love the comments. Uh, I like uh, guys that uh, that have uh, confidence. Now, talking about guys that have confidence, Carlos Sainz, he's really throwing some love in uh, former teammates Nico Hulkenberg's uh, direction. And he says that he believes that uh, the Hulk would win straight away if he was in a top Formula 1 team like Ferrari, Red Bull, or uh, Mercedes because uh, Nico has been in Formula 1. I think he's got about 150-something races under his belt, but he hasn't uh, even been on a podium yet. And this is a guy that uh, that's uh, won Le Mans. He, I think he won the- there in uh, twenty fifteen, I think if uh, I remember correctly, but uh, he's uh well he won what's being called the the class B the best of the rest, so uh, he would have finished seventh in the world championship behind the Red Bull Ferrari and Mercedes drivers, and um, I think that's a that's an interesting comment because uh, you know you got to, obviously a lot of the focus is going to go on uh, Danny Ricardo uh, going there to 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 Renault and and rightfully so I mean um, Ricardo's won about seven or eight Grand Prix now if I remember. Remember off the top of my head, and uh, Renault have uh, paid a lot of money to you know giving him a very big contract to go there. So obviously he's going to be the guy. But uh, again, uh, it's interesting as interesting as it's going to be to to watch situations like uh, Valtteri Bottas and how he does at Mercedes and how he measures up against Lewis Hamilton, and of course, of course, the whole Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc thing going on at Ferrari. It's going to be interesting too to see what happens at, at, at Renault, but, uh, definitely, uh, it, it's really interesting to see what, uh, Carlos Sainz is saying about, Hulkenberg. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, think it's a, it's a real compliment anytime that one of your peers or one of your colleagues really has something, uh, you know, something like that to say about uh, what you do and and what you're capable of and uh, the the fact that uh, science believes that uh, Hulkenberg is uh, underrated and uh, doesn't necessarily get the, the the recognition that he deserves so Again, uh, Renault. I think that uh, well, I know that they're not happy from where they uh, where they were last year. They really weren't as far forward as uh, they they were hoping to really progress last year. They they kind of plateaued a bit. I mean, we've seen them uh, progress and improve each and every year since they they took over Lotus after what was it, twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen fair enough. It's going to take a while to, to turn it around, but this year that, uh, that that curve, that upward curve that they were on leveled off a little bit and uh, you know for the most part I think uh, it's uh, not unfair at all to say that uh, that they plateaued uh, in in 2018. So, uh, they've uh, been saying uh, you know Cyril Atabule is uh, the the team principal uh, team, team principal, sorry, has uh, been saying that they've really made a lot of gains over the uh, the off season, but hey, everybody says that uh, in January and in it doesn't really uh, mean anything until you get on the track in in Melbourne and uh, and line up against those eighteen other cars and uh, really see, well, okay, well, we improved a lot, but everybody else improved that much more than we did, or maybe they don't. So of course, well, we'll wait and see. But uh, certainly if, uh, you know, Renault is uh, able to improve, it, ch- it could be fun to see what uh, what these guys uh, are able to do. And uh, Ricardo and Nick and Hulkenberg uh, are able to do in Formula One this year. And I, I think after uh, Ricardo had announced that uh, he was going to, to, to go to Renault for 2019, I think um, Hulkenberg had put something, I was either on Instagram or Twitter, whatever was, something like, oh, looking forward to going hunting with you next year, bro, or something like that. So could it could be, a, it could be a, a really fun partnership to watch. And uh, I think uh, th- this year, maybe more than, uh, than than most years in the past, just because of all the amounts of, uh, of changes that we've seen, uh, you know, the drivers going all over the place. And it really, the silly season in 2018 was a lot sillier than <laughs> most years, but just uh, all the changes and uh, the, the different uh, partnerships that, uh, that are Going to be out there, and some of the new faces that are in Formula One, and some of the ones that aren't there anymore, definitely uh, could make it a, a fun year to watch. But one uh, guy that's not going to be having fun in Formula One next year is uh, uh, Brendan Hartley, who was uh, out at uh, Toro Rosso, and uh, that wasn't really any uh, surprise. But uh, he was uh, saying that, he, well, he kind of. Dished out some of the dirt and the the inside story on how that unfolded, but he was saying that it really started as early as Monaco last year. And Monaco, of course, is usually uh, what is it the end of? uh, It's usually about Indy, so the end of May, beginning of June there. And uh, well, of course, that's obviously when it started because that's when uh, uh, France Tost and and Toro Rosso were approaching McLaren about signing Lando Norris on uh, well, it was basically on like a on a a loan deal basically to get him in a Toro Rosso. for the uh, remainder of 2018 and all of 2019 and and you could understand why Hartley would be upset about it I mean he's basically only got a handful of races under his belt for the team and they're already talking about replacing him with the with a guy that you know doesn't have any uh, Formula One experience I know the Lando is really highly touted uh, and, and uh, obviously that whole situation really lit a fire under Zach Brown and McLaren to to do something about that and of course Lando's going to be driving for for McLaren next year but you know, I don't think uh, it's really going to make you feel all that great. Uh, regardless, I mean, professional sports, obviously, is, uh, you know, it's a what have you done for me lately uh, kind of attitude. And, uh, you know, that's 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 to be expected. I mean, it's uh, the, the pinnacle of motorsports, or so, supposedly it is. So uh, that, that definitely is going to be um, exacerbated or amplified to a certain extent, extent that if, uh, you know, you haven't, uh, you're not performing, then uh, that's going to be a, an issue. I mean, uh, Hartley had success. Uh, outside of formula 1 and you know they they did struggle i mean they they had a very good start to the year i mean pierre gasly uh, he did he had a phenomenal race finishing what was it fourth at bahrain last year and that's one of the first races of the year but they really cooled off after that and i know that they did uh, a lot really to help uh, develop the honda engine and they they uh, suffered uh, because of that uh, in certain situations to to help uh, the senior red bull team and uh, you can uh, you can be You can expect that, of course, but Hartley, obviously, a a little bit uh, disappointed, a little bit sour on the way that 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 went down, and certainly, I don't think any of us would really want to find out that uh, our job is potentially in danger, you know, literally the first couple of months into a new gig like that, but um, I'm sure he'll be all right. (laughs) I know he's disappointed. I mean, what else am I going to say? And finally tonight, talking about uh, guys that are no longer in Formula One and Fernando Alonso has secured a win at uh, the Daytona 24 Hours. And uh, so that's uh, really cool. I mean, uh, the, that's, uh, the, that's the Rolex 24 Hours and that's uh, just uh, another one of those races that he's won and he's adding to his list of accomplishments outside of Formula One. So he uh, joined uh, teammates Jordan Taylor, Renger Vanduzanda, and Kamui, uh, Kamui Kobayashi in the no- number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, taking the overall victory in the DPI class. So the, the, the race was actually plagued by some very, very heavy rainstorms at about five o'clock in the morning. And uh, they actually stopped the race uh, because of heavy rain with uh, over two hours left uh, to run. Um, but very cool. I mean, it's, it's good to see Fernando. I mean, he's still loves racing and uh obviously his uh, options in Formula One uh, were, were limited. I mean, love him or hate him. I mean, Fernando was, uh, he just kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. And I think unfortunately he did burn bridges in, in Formula One, but McLaren seemed to love him. I mean, it, it's it sounds, for all intents and purposes, like a retirement. Very much like uh, Jensen Button did uh, when he said uh, he kind of left the door open when he retired a couple of years ago. But apart from that, uh, that one-off when he came back at Monaco when uh, Alonso coincidentally was uh, racing at uh, at Indy in 2017, that was uh, basically uh, it. You know, whether or not uh, Fernando comes back to uh, Formula One uh, in a year or two, if uh, McLaren get more competitive. That remains to be seen, but uh, certainly uh, he's going to focus now. I would think uh, he's going to be looking towards Indy because that is the last. That's the third leg of the unofficial triple crown of uh, motorsports. He's already won. He's already won Le Mans, which he did or, did earlier this year. He's already won uh, Monaco. So all he has to do is uh, win uh, win Indy. And when he was there in uh, 2017, I mean, he did great. He did very very good during uh, qualifying. I was impressed watching him during the race. And uh, ironically, it was uh, his uh, Honda engine which uh, Blew up. He must have been cursing the, his luck on that day, because not only was the the Honda power plaguing him in Formula One, it was also uh, bothering him at, at Indy. But uh, be that as it may, uh, Fernando did have a very very good debut at uh, at Indy. So that's you would think that would have to be his focus. And let's let's just. Throw this out there right now. If he does actually win at Indy in 2019, what then? What is there left to prove? If you've uh, you've won a Formula One World Championship, you've won Le Mans, you've won Monaco, you've, you've done all these things. Do you, do you keep going? I mean, Fernando, I mean, he's getting up there in terms of professional athlete years, but still obviously a, a, a very young man. And uh, you have to wonder if he actually pulls it off, what is there left to do? Anyways, food for thought anyways that's a good place to leave it uh, for this week uh, thank you all for very much for downloading and uh, listening to the show if you uh, like the show and uh, you can do us a favor by sharing it with a friend or leaving us uh, a 5 star review and a rating on uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, download your podcasts and, and listen to them we'd very much appreciate it and if you have any comments or any questions you can throw a tweet my way at f one pod on Twitter or you can email me at at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again this time next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to scuderiaf1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network.
1: Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.
0: Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets.